This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. Today I am talking to Matthew Ball, who has been on this show multiple times because Matthew is smart about lots of different stuff. I enjoy talking to him. I talk to him all the time, as we discuss in this podcast. Uh, today we're talking about Matthew's new book, which is called The Metaverse. I think it's self-explanatory. Uh, Matthew's a big brain. You are going to enjoy hearing from him. Here's me and Matthew. Today I am joined by futurist, thinkfluencer, investor, former Amazon studio executive, Matthew Ball. Welcome, Matthew. Good morning. I said thinkfluencer just so I could see you wince. Um, Matthew is also someone that I may speak to more than anyone else in the world, except for my kids, because we play Fortnite just about every night. So let's get that disclosure out and done. Um, Matthew's on today because I like to talk to him in non-Fortnite settings, and, and also because he has a new book out. It's called The Metaverse. Matthew, why did you write a book about the metaverse? So I've been writing about the topic since 2018, and I like to highlight that it's a 30-year-old term, but a nearly century-old idea. What's new and different is not just the buzz, Facebook changing its name, but that this long-considered idea starts to feel like it's practical to start building. And so after three years of covering the space lightly and seeing it you know, culminate to seven of the 11 largest companies on earth starting to obsess over it, I thought it made sense to make something more all-encompassing, but most importantly, accessible to the average person rather than the techno-literati that I typically correspond with. So let's, yeah, let's, let's, so we have a, we have a average person podcast that also appeals to people who know about tech. So let's, let's just do some level setting. What is the easiest way for you to describe the metaverse to a normal person? Not, not, not a, not a technologist, but a normal person you meet at the airport. It would be a 3D version of the internet. The internet today touches almost everything. It's a network of networks, but it's predominantly 2D, text-based images, audio files selectively. And we would talk about spreading that out into everywhere again, but with a 3D elevation, augmented reality, virtual reality, and so forth. 3D internet. That makes sense. It's an extension of what we have today, so that makes sense as well. There's a couple versions of the metaverse that people might be familiar with. They've bounced into. A couple of them are fictional, right? There's Snow Crash, famously the Neil Stevenson book that is uh, credited with coining the term, maybe not didn't actually coin the term. There's Ready Player One, the book and the movie. The, the idea that these are people sort of existing in an alternate reality. There's reality still exists, but then they go online and, and have their, their alternate reality. There's the actual real life metaverse that exists in things like Roblox um, and Minecraft, where you're building and interacting in a 3D world with people from around the world. There's the less pleasant Facebook version of it, where you put a strap on goggles and do a conference call with these weird avatars. Of all those metaverse options and, and versions that I've described, what do you think is the closest to what we're going to see 10, 15 years from now? What, what do you imagine is closest to that? Well, so actually the closest would be the World Wide Web, 
in and of itself, right? We're talking about truly billions of different websites, richly interconnected, supporting continuity of your identity content. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of different domain registrars, different server providers, and so forth. But when you're talking about the 3D platforms that exist today, Roblox is the closest. You've got 70 or 80 million different virtual worlds with diverse purposes, but integrated schemes in currency, in communication, in your entitlements. Those are the things that you own, your avatar, with some sort of federated experience. The catch, of course, is that that's leisure. And it's actually a very small subset of leisure, leisure primarily for kids. Most of the value in the metaverse is going to come from industry, much like the internet today. So if the the metaverse kind of exists now in crude form and it's a toy for kids, but you can imagine it sort of growing up and getting more sophisticated, that sounds kind of reasonable. It doesn't sound like crazy science fiction. It also doesn't sound like something that's maybe worth you spending all of your time talking and writing about. It just seems like, all right, these are just incremental steps. Graphics get better. Communications get better. Instead of having crude, blocky avatars, the avatars get smoother and better. But it's not really a game changer. What what changes fundamentally for the average person, for companies, when the metaverse that you're imagining arrives? So I really like this question because I think one of the things that's important to understand is what's fundamentally different. If you take a look at mobile versus the PC era or the mobile internet versus the fixed line internet, we're using most of the same tech, TCP IP or the internet protocol suite, not altogether dissimilar. We're still using the web. Not many new languages have been created, but we would all say that it's different, different devices, different monetization models, the companies we patron, the philosophies that run, there are different observations of how you design a product. And yet, despite the similarity, technically, the world is very different. And that's because the fundamental innovation of the mobile era was not cramming a computer or desktop into a small portable device. It was not going from dialing up to having a constant connection. It's that when you do that, you fundamentally change who accesses computing and networking resources, when, where, why, and how. We can focus on Ready Player One wearing a Captain America avatar to school, but the fundamental innovation here is graphics-based computing. It's 3D simulation. It's that being pervasive in the way that the internet is today. And is that better? By the way, because a lot of the, the fictional uh, descriptions of the metaverse are dystopias, right? The world is very bad, and then people escape online to this fantasy world, but that's not necessarily great. It's it's often described as like, this is this sucks. And people look at, you know, the Facebook slash meta version of that and go, I don't, I don't want any part of this. Um, what is What is good about the metaverse, as you imagine it? So that's both true and false. It's true in that almost all of the fiction over the past century is dystopic. I like to point out that, of course, drama is the root of most fiction. Human drama is the best type of drama, and utopias tend not to produce much of it by definition. And if you take a look at most of the experiences which aspire to be metaverse-like, Roblox, Fortnite, Second Life, the multi-user shared hallucinations of the 1970s, very different tone. Self-expression, creation, collaboration, exploration. And so I wouldn't focus too much on the history of the term in fiction. And I like to point out that Neil Stevenson has this particularly good line in which he warns people that right though he was about a lot, he was just quote unquote, making shit up. 
And so we should actually look to the experiences we see. But as to why is it better, the answer is graphics-based computing, 3D simulation allows us to solve many problems that we don't today. We can say the world is fine. We can say that some of those are more about economic efficiency than improving society. But we're also hopeful that many of the things that we struggled with over the past two years, how terrible Zoom school is, as an example, might be substantially improved by immersion or at least 3D education rather than YouTube videos and digital multiple choice. Okay, fair enough. And we could talk more about what that might look like. How do we get there? What are the biggest hurdles that have to get solved, right? Computers get better every year. The iPhone I have now is way, way more advanced than the first one I bought in 2010. But what else beyond just sort of general computing power needs to get better? And what needs to be actually invented for the metaverse to show up as you imagine it? So you're right. A lot of things are going to get better. Latency reduces on networks. Broadband deployment improves. Bandwidth expands. We know that computing processors improve over time. But there are probably two big things that need to be solved. One is, while XR devices, augmented reality, virtual reality, are not a requirement, of course, you and I spend dozens of hours playing Fortnite, a 3D immersive social world without those devices, we can imagine that they're important for more time and different experiences. To some extent, that's a technology problem, right? Better batteries, faster computing processors at smaller weights. But this is an extraordinarily hard problem. I like to highlight this because there are those who believe that until we actually solve quantum computing as a fantastical idea, that these devices just aren't possible. That's actually a pretty common perspective. It's obviously not one that Meta holds as they pioneer into these XR devices. And just to be clear, you 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 imagine these device like putting a device on, putting goggles on, putting a headset on is a requirement for participation in the for the metaverse that you want to see exist. No, actually, quite the contrary. My point on Fortnite is we can see that billions of people on a monthly basis and hundreds of millions of people truly on a daily basis are fine with the devices that we have right now, which continue to improve. But it's reasonable to conclude that other devices that make us more seamlessly part of the environment around us would at least increase the time and often the functionality if just when it comes to finger inputs as a result. But that does seem pretty far off, failing extraordinary leaps in quantum computing or battery technology. But the biggest thing holding up the metaverse is where we talk about the almost academic philosophy of it, which is philosophy. There's no JPEG of the metaverse. And by that, I don't mean crypto and NFTs. I mean, just a standard file format. And we have almost no sharing. That's how the internet works. But frankly, Fortnite doesn't even know Roblox exists, least of all know how to communicate to it. So do you imagine a world where Fortnite and Roblox and uh, Facebook's version of which is called what Horizon mm-hmm. um, all do know each other, each other exist and interoperate and and I can move from Fortnite to Roblox to Meta and and it all it, should it all work that way? So this is a fun question. First and foremost, the leaders at those three companies have said that they do want to solve that problem. Tim Sweeney at Epic has been very clear. Mark has said that he considers that essential to the metaverse. And they both were founding members of the Metaverse Standards Forum announced last week with 28 other companies. Roblox's CBO, CEO, and founder have said that they are even willing to build NFT products to facilitate 
interoperability with other platforms. But the more important thing is to recognize the ways in which interoperability isn't just the consumer facing experience. I think you and I probably share the skepticism that me taking a Peely skin from Fortnite into Call of Duty both isn't that interesting to me and probably doesn't work in the other environment. But of course, most of the utility on the internet doesn't come from what Facebook can directly do with its consumer application into Snapchat, but it's the underlying protocols. The fact that you don't need a different device, a different network, a different architecture to run on different devices, different networks to communicate across. Email is an interoperable system. Facebook messaging isn't. So a lot of science fiction and a lot of uh, thinking about today's internet and tech assumes that that we have not only just global standards, but we just have a global internet and you can reach across the world and communicate with people however you want and that the sort of borders go away. Uh, and we've got a lot of evidence, especially in the recent years, that says that actually the future may not look like that at all. China is basically detached from the Western internet and is creating its own version of all this stuff and really doesn't want Western companies participating and doesn't want its citizens participating in the rest of the world's internet. Uh, Russia has just been isolated in many ways uh, online. We may well have balkanized internets. If we have that world, does that prevent a metaverse or do we just have balkanized metaverses? I think over the past 15 years, we've seen increasing regionalization in the internet. Part of that is regulatory, but part of it is actually the creep of the internet into more day-to-day life. And that usually leads to local market tech giants emerging. Historically, those are those tightly linked to local enterprise. That can be banking, insurance, rideshare, e-commerce. Silicon Valley is losing in many of those areas in Europe in Southeast Asia, in China, certainly, but even the African continent. And so the mixture of regulatory forking, plus the increasing societal importance of the internet probably means that we at least have larger differences than we're used to. But you're right, there's a growing consensus that we're going to see, not necessarily the Facebook metaverse versus the Roblox metaverse, but obviously the Chinese metaverse will be different than the rest of the world. And South Korea is actually effectively doing a compulsory mandatory interoperability tech platform under the belief that the best way for the South Korean tech companies to thrive is to mandate they collaborate in a way in which they believe the West never will. And so that will be yet another kind of point of difference. You mentioned regulation, um, you know, and you mentioned at the top of this conversation with seven out of the 10 top tech companies are, are committing substantial resources to the metaverse. There is now political energy around restraining big tech for various reasons. Um, and it may not be successful, but there's certainly energy headed that way. And just saying, regardless of why, uh, we would like Facebook to stop getting bigger and we want to restrain them. Um is there a world where Facebook and Apple and Microsoft and those folks are prevented from expanding into the metaverse is, is period. I'll just end the question there. And and then, and, and that it doesn't happen then. I think the big question is less around, will they not be able to, but what are the implications of the constraints? And by that, I mean, centralized services or vertically integrated platforms tend to be best at pioneering new categories, right? AOL onboarded many to the internet for the first time. The iPhone onboarded many to the mobile internet. Roblox works because of how tightly integrated it is. So you could argue that forcing these companies to separate 
certain things slows the development of the metaverse, makes it harder for the less techno-literate to adopt it. But there's also the economic constraint. The meta approach is actually pretty open. They're, the Oculus is the only major console that uses open standards for rendering. No one else does. PlayStation Three did. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna ask you like in your book to we'll just call we'll call Meta Facebook. Yes, uh, face for this conversation. Facebook is actually incredibly open, but if you with its next gen hardware. But Mark continues to make this point of he's not sure how he can make the money work, and we see this with the take rates. And so one argument could be that regulatory intervention slows down adoption, slows down investment, makes the balance sheet tougher for these companies. And that actually does constrain the arrival. But we may also say societally, yeah, that's fine. We'd rather have a better outcome that takes twice as long than find out, as Tim Sweeney has feared, that a single company gains control of the metaverse, which he warns would make them more powerful than any corporation or even state. They'd be a god on earth. Yeah, we could have a whole separate Epic Games discussion, but we won't. Be right back with Matthew Ball, but first a word from a sponsor. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And we're back. You have been writing about this for, for several years now. In the last couple years, led by Facebook, uh, you're starting to see real resources poured into this from very big tech giants. Has that advanced the timeline? Are we closer to the metaverse now than we were three years ago? Or or if you said 10 years ago, three years ago, are we still 10 years off? So I love to tell this story from John Carmack, who founded id Software. They made Doom. Then he was the CTO of Oculus. He's now the consulting CTO of Oculus. And he says that if you asked him in 2000, could you build the metaverse with 100x computing power? He said he would have said yes. It's been 22 years. The device sitting inches from you and I has roughly 120 times the computing power, and we have 10 times as many devices. And he says it turns out that it still far eludes our grasp. So the answer here is we tend to overestimate how quickly these tech problems will be solved. But there's been massive advances. Virtual production, which is when you use game engines to produce Hollywood feature films, probably accelerated five, seven years by the pandemic. The pandemic overall drove billions of additional revenue and profits to these platforms, accelerating their investments. The cultural destigmatization is equally important, right? Ariana Grande doing a concert in a video game in 2017 would have been very strange. Parents have been forced to contend with, actually, this isn't antisocial behavior. It's not even just social behavior. It's actually constructive. Those cultural elements are probably as important as anything. But the timeline for the fully realized version, Tim Sweeney, Jensen Huang, the founder and CEO of NVIDIA, they only ever say coming decades. And that's because it's hard and it's long. Hard and long. And if I was to be cynical, which sometimes I am, I could say, well, that's that's a, it's convenient to say it's coming 
quite some time from now because you can't really be held to account and you're, you're bored or your investors can't say how far, how, how far down the road to the metaverse have you advanced in the last quarter or year you can go. It's still a ways off. Trust me. I want to talk to you about, uh, let's, let's, let's narrow the, the aperture, as we say, and talk about you, Matt Ball. When I first met you, you were working at Amazon. You were doing uh, uh, strategy stuff for them. Um, we were talking about Netflix and, and streaming. I don't remember you talking about the metaverse. Um, it's become your central focus. Um, in addition to books and essays, you, you have an ETF that's a financial instrument where you, you can profit from people investing in, in, in companies that invest in the metaverse. When did the light go off for you that this was really interesting and also a career for you? So I always like to tell the story of I think one of the biggest problems Hollywood has had from gaming is that most of the executives last exposure to gaming was when their kids were 12 to 18. And that was the PlayStation 2 generation. And gaming kind of rides Moore's Law in a way that no other entertainment category does. Is Doctor Strange that different in 2022 from 2008's Iron Man? Not really. The cinematography is a little bit elevated. The scripting may be better or worse. The strategy is the same, but games are entirely different. I took off the sixth generation of consoles because I was just too busy uh, with my career. Then I started playing a lot of games with the eighth generation, play at PS4. And I was just shocked by how much things had changed and evolved. And this was right also when streaming wars were still kicking up, but the playbook was starting to be settled. And it really felt to me like gaming was ready for that next thing. And then the true experience was 2018. I started playing a lot of Fortnite and you could feel Moore's Law. You could feel the progression, honestly, weekly as they updated. And that's where it really crystallized to me that this long considered idea was actually starting to exist, not just be conceived of. So you're playing games and again, games get better, the graphics get better, response time gets better. But you say there's something fundamentally different now between the games today and 10 years ago. It's not just that they're better and faster. Um, not, it's not the movie example, right? It's not that the graphics are better. Mm-hmm. There's something fundamentally different. And then you say, oh, I, I'd like to participate in this. What did you imagine that would look like when you started? Did it, were you going to run your own company that would do metaverse stuff? Did you think you'd be an investor? How did you think through that? Yeah. So I had raised some money to start doing some investments and then it was just slowly building up steam really it was an organic evolution the first year was a lot of strategy formulation the number of different portfolio companies that i was involved in were relatively few and then you and i have a shared friend jacob navok the ceo and founder of genvid and he had spent more than a decade focused on cloud game streaming he had tested out some of these theses and so it was working with that company in particular but many others trying to get a better sense of What could you do? When could you do it? What had people tried? What was about timing versus idea that started to pick up steam? And then certainly when you talk about how much closer are we today, the pandemic, long before Mark Zuckerberg started talking about it, just picked everything up. We launched this ETF, as you highlighted, in June of 2021. And we- This is a basket of stocks. Yeah. it's It's an index fund for public equities based on the theme of the metaverse. And we sat there- 30 days from launch with my co-founders, wondering whether or not we were years too early and that we were going to spend the next several years trying to communicate what the heck did this word mean. And that's kind of the answer, everything coming together in ways expected not. 
And so for a while, you were kind of one of the only people out there talking about the metaverse as a thing people should pay attention to and invest in. And then, as you mentioned, the floodgates have opened and Mark Zuckerberg's talking about it. He has renamed his company uh, to reflect his interest in that. There are now other people like you out there talking about the metaverse professionally. Um, there are grifters. There are, uh, you and I have talked about companies that have absolutely nothing to do with the metaverse and never will, who are asking you for how they can, they, they want to know how they can stick metaverse into, uh, into their marketing materials. So you're responsible in part for this. How do you feel about it? Both sort of um, kicking off that, that wave of interest. And then also it, it, you've both created a, a business for yourself and you've also created rivals for yourself. I'm wondering how you navigate all that. It's, it's, I struggle with this question, uh, perhaps because of my Canadian upbringing. I find it really hard to believe that I was a path dependent impact on the term, but I hear it enough from people who say, look, yeah, our strategy's not changed, but we certainly wouldn't have used the word and the extent to which we use it is a result. And certainly you can find examples of executives that have so clearly used some of the language in my essay, which means that they're recognizing that what I was doing was resonating with their target audience. But look, I, I find it strange when you talk about quote unquote rivals, I wouldn't see it that way, but I'm really happy that I'm not the only voice there, partly because many of the problems that you and I just glossed over, I can only gloss over them. These are people who really deeply understand the specifics. But Look, there's certainly a lot of grifting, I think, in the Web3 community. So many of the different individuals, and I'm going to take flack for this on Twitter, who don't have product market fit certainly do use the metaverse, a multi-trillion dollar thing that will arrive eventually as justification for everything. And so navigating through that is, is strange. It's fun. Yeah, very Canadian answer. Um, I would suggest that there are some particular rivals that you are not very feeling very generous about, but we can talk about that offline. You mentioned Web3. Um, there is some overlap between Web3, crypto, and metaverse stuff, in part because it's just all futury and there's hype. And maybe there's, you mentioned that centralization is kind of important to what you're talking about. Web3 is supposedly decentralized. I'm curious what you think, having gone through a Web3 hype cycle that now seems to be on the downside, um, if there's anything in that experience that gives you pause or as helpful as you think about metaverse, which presumably is going to go through some of these same cycles. And you know, best case scenario for you is that it all works out. But there's definitely a version where everyone goes, oh, remember in 2022, we were all talking about metaverse? That was fucking stupid. <laughs> um, how do you think about either insulating yourself from that or taking lessons from the, the current Web3 crypto boom bust? This is a great question. There are so many different reinforcing feedback loops to hype with a tech cycle. Part of this is just learnings from the last two waves of the internet of computing at large, where most companies underestimated it and were too late. And so they're overcorrecting. There are kind of three different timelines. I mentioned Jensen Huang and Tim Sweeney talk about decades. Mark Zuckerberg and John Carmack talk about five to 10 years. And then there's Bill Gates, Satya Nadella, and many others who just say now or tomorrow. And naturally, that last categorization wins. Then you have the many different organizations that have to size this. We have estimates that range from 5 to 13 trillion by the end of the decade. KPMG just said that all of those forecasts are conservative. Well, the global economy right now is about 95 trillion, saying that by 2030, at least 13 trillion of that is going to be the metaverse when there's no product you can buy, there's no metaverse revenue. 
is a challenge. I get a little bit worried from some time of, you know, people saying Matt's book says it's going to revolutionize everything. It's been two years. Why hasn't it? But so in my book, I try to do my best to explain how this is iterative, that most of the big innovations are recursive and unpredictable. Robinhood, Snapchat, frankly, that the world's largest identity system, Facebook, arises from a hot or not dating application. That Epic Games, the pioneer for the metaverse, came out of a battle royale that was itself a spinoff from another game. And so in my book, I try to do my best to slow down progress to talk about what we don't know. And then at the end of my book, I'm pretty clear. Here's what I believe. Here's what I don't believe. Here's what I doubt. And one of the things I doubt is that we will ever use the term metaverse. We might use a different term. We might just say the 3D internet. It's more likely we just say internet. Uh, And in the preface of your book, you say, look, you know, basically people were talking about internet and tablets without using those words for decades. Um, they could imagine them and they showed up again in science fiction and sometimes um, in actual science, but it took decades. Um, and uh, you bring up the example of 2001, uh, talking about tech that we only have now. And again, I see it as both helpful and also a pretty good hedge, right? Where you can say, look, this stuff is going to come one day, but don't blame me if it doesn't show up in five years or 10 years, because it could be 20 or 30. It seems like both a, a, a useful uh, framing and also, um, yeah, maybe 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 a, a shield for you as well. What I will say about this, and it's, it's funny because I have these conversations a lot, where the middle third of the book is on building the metaverse. And I'm trying to be very clear about the many different technical challenges, one of which is literally the speed of light. And so I think your point is incredibly clear. Hopefully I supplement that by talking about why it will take a long time, talking about all of the individual pieces that need to come together. And that's partly so that we can separate what we have predicted and will realize from what we have dreamed and probably never can. This is the first time I have seen your face talking to me live in a very long time. I can't remember the last time we were in the same actual space together. It might have been at CES, at least 2019, 2018. Is this thing we're doing now, talking on, on a sort of a Zoom knockoff, a better version of the metaverse, or is it you and I playing Fortnite um, and shooting things and also talking a better version of the metaverse for you? Well, so let me pivot the question a little bit. I think one question that we often get is, are the leaders in the metaverse going to be different than the leaders today? And that's often hard to imagine. But of course, that's the same question we asked in the PC era. How could you ever supplant AOL, Yahoo, or Microsoft? And the answer is so many things change. And a good example of that would be, what's success in the internet today? It's minimizing clicks to outcome, right? Amazon's one click to buy. You want to minimize all friction to the outcome. Historical game design would say you should never have a lobby in Fortnite. You should just try to cram people into the match as soon as possible. And yet you and I know that we end up spending 20% of the night playing Fortnite, sitting in the lobby, in particular as one of our friends does nonstop emotes just to trigger both of us. But it's usually just to hang out in our avatars to change outfits. That's counterintuitive. Why would you hold up the game? Why would you invest in holding up the game? But that seems to be one of the best places to hang out. I find it less taxing than Zoom, that's for sure. Okay, so I will see you tonight, and uh, I'll be changing outfits for you, and um, we'll go from there. Matthew Ball, thank you for coming on. We'll see if that makes the final edit. (laughs) 
Good job. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thanks again to Matthew Ball. Thanks again to Jelani and Travis for producing and editing this show. Our sponsors for bringing it to you for free and most important to you guys for listening. This is Recode Media. We'll see you next week.